Hello, bonsoir, and welcome to the Get French Football News Show. I'm Nathan Staples, and joining me this evening are Rich Allen and Peter Rutzler. I hope you've caught up on some of your sleep and don't have too much of a hangover from last night's huge game watched by millions across the globe. What do you mean, Super Bowl? I mean, Ligue Sunday night match, which was another belter. But before that, and more on an absolute goal fest of a weekend... Here's the latest headlines. Florian Tovan led Marseille. Well, Florian Tovan led Marseille kicked things off on Friday night with a nine-goal thriller in this Stade Velodrome. Lerm's talisman grabbed a hat trick in a six-three win over Metz that lists them into second in the table. On Saturday, Paris Saint-Germain eventually put away a plucky Lille side with a 3-0 win. Giovanni Lo Celso with the pick of the goals, delightfully chipping over a hapless Mike Magnon. In the multiplex, Bordeaux made it three wins in a row as a bizarre opener helped them win 2-0 at Strasbourg. While Saint-Étienne's new signing, Matteo Debussy, scored on his debut as they beat Amiens by the same scoreline. A sublime Max Langradel strike saw Toulouse out of the drop zone as they won 1-0 at Nice, as Montpellier came from behind to sink Angers 2-1. On Sunday, a superb late counter helped Gangomp steal all three points in the Breton derby against Rennes, while a Damien de Silva double helped Caen lift themselves away from danger as they saw off Nantes 3-2. In the final match of the weekend, Monaco came from two goals and a man down to beat Lyon. Mariano Diaz and Bertrand Traore give the away side a strong lead that was strengthened by Keita Balde's red card after he had pulled one back. But a late Ronnie Lopez strike in a fantastic counter-attack made it 3-2 at the Stade Louis Deux. And that's all for now. But for all the latest news in the world of French football, head on over to our website at www.getfootballnewsfrance.com and follow us on Twitter at GFFN. We start with what should now really be trademarked as the Super French Sunday Nights as they pull out yet another cracker. Uh, fabulous and intriguing game, Rich. Um Monica Real showed real moxie in this one, didn't they? Compared to what we've maybe seen in the last couple of weeks, uh, especially, for example, against Marseille a couple a week ago as well, it, they just showed a little bit more gusto in this one, didn't they? Well, they did. They they they, they sort of seemed to have quite a few things go against them, um, yet came out of it with all three points. So I think there's huge credit to the players and huge credit to to Leonardo Jardim for that. Um, to have gone well, a goal down and then two two goals down within half an hour to have lost the first choice goalkeeper, although question marks remain whether that's that's truly a, a disadvantage or not because Subasic looked like he was going to be on for, for one of those nights where he's just uh, a shadow of his, his uh, self that we saw last season. Um, so to have seen that, seen that happen, I think it would have been very, very easy. And, and having seen also how well Leon had been playing at times this season, I, for one, thought, oh, this is going to be an excellent performance for, for Leon. I was starting to write things up about how well they play against um, the, the top teams in Liga, and actually it's it's the, it's the sort of in, slightly inferior teams that they struggle against. And there was then the sort of quick-fire double um, in return from Monaco. Um, 
and you thought, oh, crikey, okay, this is going to, you know, topsy-turvy, this has gone back the other way. And then stroke of half-time, then we got the red card, um, which, again, then just made you question of, for, a, you know, what is it, a second, third time in the in 45 minutes was the, was the game turned on its head again. Um, second half, I think, I think a lot to Leon's lack of ambition. Um, I think Monaco, yes, they showed some great resolve. Uh, and never, never say die attitude culminating in that late winner for Ronnie Lopez. But I mean, that, that this is a game that that Leon should have should have wrapped up. Um, I mean, the the sort of lion's share of possession in the second half to an almost obscene level. Um, I was think I was looking at some of the um, the Opta stats from the second half. Uh, and bearing in mind it was 10 players against 11, Leon had 76% of possession, so as opposed to 24% for Monaco. Um, 275 passes against 56 passes in favour of Leon. You know, it's utter, utter domination. But at no time did you ever really think they're going to score. It seemed, it almost seemed like they were happy to be playing out the draw, um, which is quite a bizarre tactic I think deployed by by Genesio and he himself will come under a lot of a lot of stick rightful stick for this because it you know the the way that Leon had been playing um okay the game against Bordeaux last week was a bit of a blip but we we have seen you know how great this Leon side can play this season there's no way that they should have come away with this without even a point so as much as yeah we 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 should rightfully credit Monaco for a real gutsy performance they owe a big, big debt of gratitude to the sort of timid, tame way that, that Leon played that second half. Yeah, it was a strange one, really, Peter. You would think in these kind of games, even in, in, with big teams, that going down to 10 men, it should be the impetus on on the home uh, the, well, the side with the extra man to really push on and go for a winner. But in the second half, Leon seemed like they were out of ideas. They were striking a lot of bits from distance and... In, in essence, and I, I want to focus on Monaco really in this moment, they were probably the better side with the better chances and showing that counter-attacking football that, in a way, was reminiscent of last season. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with what, with what Rich was saying and in the way that Leon played in, in the second half and with the man advantage. You know, it, I will go on to them in a little bit, but it felt like there was no plan B. and There was no... There, I mean, clearly Genesio wanted the point, but... It, the way they were playing, the dominance on the ball, there was, the speed is something that was, was really quite striking of how fast they were moving the ball, which was nowhere near quick enough. Uh, and Monaco punished them, and they, they were very effective. And yeah, they, there was definitely the, uh, the elements to, to last season, that, that firm rear guard, but less so, I would say, in terms of uh, the overwhelming uh, attacking points. But the, the, the way they got the ball forward uh, from back to front um, was really effective. And, um, with Falcao, and then obviously he went off injured, and then uh, when Stevan Jovetic as well, when he came on, he offered them that focal point up front, uh, and, and you saw that with the winning goal. Um, it's really terrific hold-up play to bring Lopez uh, into it, and L Lopez seems to benefit from that sort of setup. You know, he's he's a quick player. We, we've talked about him uh, in pods in the past about how he he likes to get beyond um, defenders, but beyond fullbacks. He, he's le he is a creator, sure, but he's not. That's not his primary asset. He's also got that speed, that ability to to stretch defenses, and we saw that. And he, he caused um, he caused Leon all sorts of trouble, and and topped his performance off with with an excellent goal. The way uh, that Monaco set up, I think, once they 
sort of reclined into their shell when they were down to 10 men did suit them. It didn't expose their weaknesses. When you've got Raji at left back, who's not going to offer you very much in advanced positions, um, it just lended itself uh, more neatly to how they were structured. You know, there were less space in behind to, to be exploited, which Leon have done so ruthlessly this season, finding gaps, uh, running between the lines. Ndombele, for example, loves to break between the lines, but he wasn't able to do that because Monaco were very tight and they were very disciplined. Uh, and I think that was uh, it, 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 not that often that you say that 10 men can play into a side's hands, but it did a little bit, I think, for Monaco. And it, it, it helped them to, well, to, they knew what they were, their, their asset wasn't, and that, that, that was beneficial. But as Rich was pointing out, I think Leon didn't ask many questions at all. I mean, in the first half, when they went 2 0 up, you know, you've got, they were exploring options both sides through the middle, really asking questions. In the second half, it was just, they failed to do that. And a lot of their play came down the left hand side. And I was relatively impressed, impressed with Felon Mendy, but it was the same thing over and over again. And it wasn't working. Crosses from the left hand side headed away, Depay not offering very much, not running in behind. And so they didn't stretch Monaco in, in the way you would expect and the way you need to when, when you're playing against 10 men. So I think for sure, Monaco we, we, was a great defensive display. And it'd be really, it's really good for Jardim as well, especially as earlier in the season, we were criticising them quite a lot, especially, for example, Jemison after his wretched week where he put in a, a Lekeep rating of one against Leipzig. And there were some real fundamental questions being asked. You know, we're thinking, well, they've got to have alternative options. But Jardim will be really pleased that they were able to be so solid with 10 men. Um, and you can see that from his celebration as well when he's gone gallivanting down the line to, to join in. So... Um, those are the real positives for Monaco, and it's such a huge result and such what is such a tight top four top four battle. Yeah, what I really love about that Jardim celebration is is he's he's exuberant. He's like, yes, we've scored the goal, and then as soon as they sort of move away from him, he's like, now focus, <laughs> <laughs> everyone, get back in line, think about the rest of the fucking two two three minutes left of the game. It's a great moment, uh, showing that um, he. He leveled his head a little bit. He realised maybe he went a bit gung ho, and has to remember that there's, st there's still time left. Leon are, are still a good team and dangerous, but it was an interesting one, really. Rich, I, I felt like it was some also a sign of Jardim finally start, starting to find something in this Monaco side. I mean, they they st they didn't do the greatest sort of start. It, there were some defensive mistakes that that led to to the couple of goals. You, you questioned Sebastic on the first one. He does get injured on that one, but he's he. It's a, it's a fair distance, even the, though the deflection does put a weird spin on the ball. It, there's still plenty of time for him to react. doesn't really react quick enough. The second one, a defensive mistake, really, from Jemison more than anything. And an excellent little run by uh, Bertrand Traore as well to grab the goal. But I just felt like the team themselves looked a little bit better. Yuri Tielemans was more involved, especially in the second half. Uh, Ronnie Lopez was absolutely superb as well in, in, in breaking and found a, an extra yard of pace that I don't think we've ever really really seen from him, really. I thought, what, what was your thoughts on Lopez especially? He he really was the, the, the linchpin for Monaco last night, wasn't he? Uh, he was, yeah. I think slowly but surely and, and very much under the radar, he's become quite an important player, I think, for Monaco. Um, he's, he's had to step into that sort of, is he a replacement for Lamar? Is he, you know, with, with Lamar being, you know, picking up these these sort of quite regular knocks this season, is he a replacement for Bernardo Silva? Having those kind of pressures on such a young player, uh, you know, could have, could have, have caused him to crumble. But I think actually he's thrived at times um, with those kind of labels. Um, it was an excellent finish last night. 
Um, he scored one or two quite a, quite key goals um, this season. Um, so I've been very, very impressed with him. I think touching back on, on some of the other players, I think T. Lemons, yeah, as you say, I thought that was arguably one of his best performances. Um, I think he's still nowhere near his very best. Um, but until I think he gets a settled role within this side, we won't see that. Um, I get the impression with Jardine that this initial first season and certainly the first half of the season was very much a let's see about getting my um, sort of cards in order of how I want this team to look. Um, T. Elements will be part of that. Um, and I think that the, the game last night has gone a long way to, to sort of reminding Jardine just what a talented player T. Elements can be and what he can offer that side. Because it was only a glimpse last night, but it was still a lot more than we've, I think we've previously seen from him. Um, and then you look at the likes of, of you know, Amami Torre. I thought he had a fairly decent game. Um, but yeah, I, I was very, very impressed with Lopez. Um, I think it would have been very easy this season for him to, to really struggle within this side. But I think he's been one of the young players who sort of stood up, said, you know what, I can be a part of this team going forward. Sort of post that, the, you know, the big name players that left last summer. You know, I'm a player that you can look on to rely on going forward. Yeah, and I was a little bit disappointed, really, in Kaita Balde that I thought he started the game relatively well, and he he took his goal very well as well. I thought the the fact he sort of grabbed the game by the scruff of the neck for them at that moment, and and grabbed a really impressive goal with a great run and a, and a good finish was was a, a a real statement of intent. It's just a shame that. Um, silly booking for, for kicking the ball away and then a really deserved booking for the, the second one, it, arguably on another day. It's one of those ones where some people would claim quote-unquote an orange card, really. It's, it was it wasn't the greatest of challenges, really. But as as for Leon, really, um, Peter, I mean, we've touched on it really about this team really lacking an ideas or, or possibly a plan B. But I was also thinking, do you think that that win against Paris Saint-Germain a couple of weeks ago that was so euphoric, euphoric at least, uh, and they played so well. Did that take too much out of them? Uh, potentially. I mean, with that win and then obviously beating Monaco in the Cup, I think those two results so close together, you know, it, with such a young side, you could easily argue that uh, it did go to the heads a little bit. Um, I mean, Genesio doesn't strike me as a, as a man-manager. He doesn't strike me as the, the type to... to, to focus on the psychological aspect necessarily of, of, of his of his charges so maybe you could you can make that claim against Bordeaux they were they just they were outdone in terms of intensity as much as anything um, and we saw that in the second half and they switched off again Leon you, they, you know they raced into a 2-0 lead and they thought the job was done so maybe you do have that sort of that, that edge to, to to your mindset where you think you know we're, we're tuning up again aren't we great we're going to write the headlines about us again that sort of uh, aspect to it and they were, they were rightfully punished because they dropped their intensity from the game. I think after Keita Balde was sent off, they probably thought, you know what, well, it's going to happen again anyway, and it didn't. Um, but as much as that is an issue, I, I, I just feel like with the way they, they approached it, there was, there was no change in, in, in how they went about the game after the sending off. It was very much the same thing, trying the same as, uh, tactical approach. Substitutions were very much like for like. It, it did throw up some serious questions. We mentioned it earlier for, for Genesio. You know, you, in these bigger games, you, you've got to have alternative ways of approaching it. And Monaco adapted to the circumstances much more effectively, I felt. They were much more pragmatic. 
An interesting point I saw on Twitter from our own uh, Divin about uh, Nabil Fakir as well, Rich. At home this season, he scored 12 goals, two assists, and just the one booking. In away performances, four goals, three assists, five bookings, and made the statement for a second week running that he didn't really get involved in the game as much as we'd expect a player of his quality to do. Um, has he sometimes been a little bit disappointing in these? He was absolutely fantastic in that Paris Saint-Germain game at home, but uh, these kind of games where they maybe needed him against Bordeaux, where they maybe needed that inspiration against Monaco as well in the second half, someone with his skill, with his ability. Is it a little bit disappointing that he's not coming to the fore in these moments, which might, in in, uh, in essence, hinder something like being von vote with the best player in league and the season, which it looked like he'd be a runaway winner of. Yeah, I think what we what we're seeing with with Fekir is that he's just struggled. I think when opponents bring them, you know, take the game to Leon. You know, I thought Leon were very much the on the front foot from the start against against PSG, whereas in the game against Bordeaux um, and the game last night, although Monaco, uh, sorry, although Leon came out of the traps fairly quickly. You know, Monaco pinned them back. And then from then on, it didn't seem like Leon were able to 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 get a grip on, on the game and really cause cause the issues to um to Monaco and then as we saw in the game against Bordeaux as well. So it's it's not a question of him not being able to perform in the big games, um, or him only sorry, him only choosing to perform in the big games, because you know, game against Monaco, game against the champions is a very, very big game especially with you know them being such a direct rival for that second place. So I think it's just he struggles and maybe maybe it's not just him, maybe it's the way that Leon set up, maybe it's Genesio's tactics and style of play that perhaps when a team get on the front foot against Leon themselves, Fekir perhaps struggles to impose himself on that game. Um, you know, this isn't the first time that we've seen a fairly anonymous performance from him. Um you know, I, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt that by rule of thumb, we've seen more excellent performances from him than, than anonymous performances. But, you know, yes, as you were saying, at the start of some, the early part of the season, we were all full of praise for him. You know, he's back to his very best. And I do believe that he is back to his best. But I think we also can't forget that I think there is still a little bit of rust there. You know, he did have so much time out with that injury at such an important time in his career. Um, and of course, then he's got this responsibility of captaining this side now. He is seen as a senior player. He's senior, uh, seen as a, a figurehead of this team. Uh, you know, I think there are going to be games, unfortunately for him, where he's going to have to think, and, and perhaps it's a perfect um, a marriage with the Leon side, is, is he needs to work out his own plan B. You know, if, if, if teams are going to, you know, deny Leon possession or, or, you know, harry them when they do have the ball. Fekir just has to work out, well, how can I adapt my game to meet the um, you know, the style of play that's, that's, that's going on? Yeah, maybe to shift to a, a different gear or a different level. It, it, just a little bit nitpicky on what has been a, a decent season for him, really, too, so far. But both sides uh, now trailing in the wake of Marseille because they jumped into second after an entertaining 6-3 victory. It's the first time there's been nine goals in a league and game since Paris Saint-Germain knocked that many past Trois in 2016. And the man of the moment that grabbed a hat-trick, Peter, it, it, it was Florian Tovan show yet again. Is he the most important player to a team in league and at the moment? 
yeah, without doubt, I think that's 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 without question whatsoever. I think I think Rich, you've been talking about this a lot about how how much he he seems to carry Marseille, and it's really quite true. He's been so consistent this season, and there's you know there's no coincidence in the fact that there's this fantastic run of form that they've had. I think it's one defeat in 19 since they lost at home to Ren, which is quite extraordinary, really. Um, has come off the back of, of this fantastic um, form from, from Florian Tovin. I mean, 13 goals, 10 assists. He, he's, he's on the same level as the, the return that Neymar's giving at Paris Saint-Germain. And Neymar's playing with a team of stars, essentially. And, and Tovin is playing with the team of, well, oh, let me think the right word, utility men at times, with, with the added gloss of a, a few extra talisman. So I think that's not to overdo it too much. Of course, you, you have to um, praise the role of Luis Gustavo. Morgan Sanson I've been impressed with. And, and Mondonda's got them out of jail a couple of times as well during that time. But um, one thing that really struck for me, and especially in the game on Friday, was that Tovan again, he scores a hat-trick. Fantastic, the star player. Whereas the other players you look to as being key, someone like Luis Gustavo, didn't put in the best performance from, from my perspective. I think they, they really lacked the defensive shield. Uh, especially once they went into the runaway lead. I mean, it was almost like they, they'd given up in the centre of the park a little bit. Um, and that really did leave their relatively slow and ageing back four uh, in a bit of bother. But Tovan again, putting in the <laughs> the fantastic performance. And now the question is, you know, the big clubs are interested in him again. I mean, there's talk this week, I was reading, you know, that clubs are circling and the transfer fee is, his, his value may be worth 70-odd million. I mean, who'd have thought that? Which is quite extraordinary and, and on his current form you can't take that away from him you know you can't you can't say that he's not worth that um and it becomes even harder much harder for, for Deschamps to to even consider overlooking him in the summer for the world cup that's the, th the thing Newcastle fans bless their hearts must be scratching their heads at how he's absolutely turned his his career around really in, in becoming what is potentially a, a 50 60 million pound player from what was seen as a flop really at Newcastle and he, he's been a real leader on the pitch he's been terrific he's been absolutely crucial to what Marseille have done this season Rich but also like I saw you mentioned the other day he he probably is on the at least a plane to France but he's absolutely you would you'd say he's probably still third and fourth in line for the French team but he is in the form of his life he absolutely is um uh, you know, feel free to quote me on this one because uh, you know I don't I don't say these kind of things often about myself, but it, at this moment in time, he would get my vote for player of the season, and that's not just for Marseille for 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 Ligue 1. Um, you know, I think his contribution to to Marseille has been at times ridiculously significant. Um, you know, we're into double figures for goals and assists. There's very few players in the league who've achieved that or who will achieve that this season. Um, I know people will probably point to Neymar and yeah, probably Neymar will probably end up winning the end of the se end of season award. But I think as, as Peter was pointing out, you've got to take contribution to, you know, uh, contribution and how that fits within the team. And as Peter rightly said, Neymar is surrounded by brilliant players. Um, Tovan isn't. Ultimately, he's surrounded by some good players but nowhere near to the standard that, that Neymar's, Neymar is surrounded by. Um, so for me, Tovan has been... Uh, uh, well, if you'd have asked me just before Christmas, I'd have probably still ever so slightly 
um put my put my um, my vote for for feck here purely because of i just think of what what has been expected of him and the perhaps pressure that he was under but tovan has kicked into another gear i think since the turn i mean he's already operating a very high standard but has has kicked into a completely different gear um post winter break and it does baffle you and you know it only goes to show the level of quality that France and, and Deschamps have at their disposal, that he isn't a guaranteed um, member of that World Cup squad. Um, you know, he could still hit another seven or eight goals and, and, and assist another seven or eight goals as well. And he still wouldn't necessarily be a guaranteed starter. Um, but it's, you know, I've been very, very critical of Tovan in, in seasons past for failing to live up to... Um, what we initially saw way, way back when he was playing for Bastia. Um, attitude problems played a big, big part in that. I think the way that he left Lille left a very sour taste in many people's um, many people's mouths. I think he really failed to, or flattered to deceive at times during his first stint with Marseille. And maybe that failed spell with, with Newcastle was what was needed um, to, to sort of, get his attitude in the right place because ever since he's come back um, from the Premier League, he's been a completely different player. Um, and so, you know, credit where credit is due. He's he's having a terrific season, best season. You know, this is the best we've ever seen him play. Um, and Marseille will be absolutely desperate to keep hold of him come the summer. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy to think that some other big clubs in Europe will be circling around him and, and trying to bring him there. I do hope he, he stays because if, if Marseille can maybe just start building a couple of players around him, now they're in second and now they are performing better, especially in these bigger games as well, that they might be finally starting to get something. But it might be strange to say, really, that it was 6-3 and in another day if you would ask Mets if they'd have scored three at the Velodrome they would have snapped your hand off but it's a it is a, a at least a little bit of a worry Peter that I know being 6-1 up at one point it's, it's not really too bad to let two goals in but is, is it a little bit of a worry that they allowed Mets to to score the goals that they they did in the in the uh, second half that those defensive issues might still crop up every now and then of course, yeah, and no, I, I totally agree with that. I mean, but before I go into that, I mean, as you said, you know, they they did race into to lead a three and a half at half time, four and five. You know, you can it's easy to become complacent at that point. Um, but that said, I mean, to concede three times um, would be deeply concerning for Rudy Garcia, and I'm pretty sure that's what he would have mentioned that in his full time team talk after the game and said, look, you know, we're great, we've we've torn them apart, we've done what. We've made a statement against the team that were in form. I mean, they were five wins from the last six. So even though they are rock bottom, they, they were on a revival. Um, but to concede that, to concede three goals will, will, does raise eyebrows. And as I was saying before, I think there was some questions. I feel like the, the midfield sort of switched off after they raced into the lead. I think Gustavo was, was the, the chief among that. I think, I can't remember which goal it was. I think it was Molay's second goal. I, I, he's standing four or five metres behind the back four and with his arms behind his back, trying to block the shot before the shots even come in. And it's, 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 you're just wondering, what on earth is he doing there? It, it's those kind of little aspects of the game where they're not switched on. I mean, when Gustavo plays and when he is at his absolute best, as we saw against Paris Saint-Germain in Le Classique, he can run matches. He was fantastic in that game. Um, but then, you know, in, in these kind of games, you've got to maintain that high standards. Um, 
And that doesn't, of course, um, leave Marseille's back four untouched. I thought Sakai did not do well at left back. I think Mole had a, a really good time down the right-hand side and his, his form has been really impressive. I mean, he grabbed a couple of goals, two excellent finishes. Admittedly, both of them after coming inside off the, the left flank and taking up those vacant spaces from Gustavo. But, you know, I think with, with, with you know, Sakai, I think they will be looking to bring Amavi back once he gets back to, to full fitness, which shouldn't be too far away now. Um, again, the questions are raised about Rami and Rolando in terms of their mobility, um, when they are exposed in the way that they were, especially with what felt like a Marseille team were then just going for blood, going for goals, um, and then leaving them more exposed. That is, that is definitely of some concern. Um, but I think the, the fact that they, they put the game beyond all doubt may temper those, those worries slightly because, you know, there is that element of complacency, as I was saying. So definitely some some serious issues and i'm sure you can see from mondana's reaction to the especially the last two goals uh his fury that these will be discussed and they should be but um yeah no they are some they'll be of concern no doubt yeah absolutely he wasn't happy in the in the slightest um rich can they stay second? I mean, it's a bit of a dogfight, really, between Lyon, Monaco, and and Marseille. And there's still obviously Marseille Lyon to come later on in the in the season. Yet the second the second round of that, so they still have to face each other. But have Marseille got the staying power to to finish above those two and be the the uh, best of the rest of the season? I think there's only there's only two factors I think that would that would make me think that they might not hold on to second. One, I don't think they have as as balanced a side in terms of quality from front to back as Lyon and Monaco. I think there's still big question marks, as we've just touched upon with their defence. That you match up defender for defender. Monaco have a better defensive outfit. I think Lyon have a better defensive outfit as well. So I think that could, things like that, that could co- come and play a, a key part come the end of the season. And also just the fact of how Monaco, uh, sorry, Marseille don't seem to be able to get the wins against their direct rivals. Um, they really do seem to to struggle to convert losses into draws, draws into wins when they're playing against those 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 teams that are direct rivals for these kind of spots. So, I think those two factors may contribute to the fact that. They might not hold on to second, but you know, if Tovan is playing as well as he is, even Paye is slowly but surely rediscovering a little bit of form. We've seen a lot more, um, uh, bigger contribution from him in games of late assists and goals. Um, in Germain, they seem to have, have finally settled on who their first choice striker will be. That's starting to pay dividends. Um, and Morgan Sanson is, is as we you know, we've known for years now, what a quality player he is. He now seems to be doing that now on a little bit more of a regular basis as well. So if all those players are now, you know, starting to hit their peak or getting close to their peak, then they they still do have a shot. You know, Marseille have, have been part of probably the greatest percentage of entertaining games that we've seen this season. Um, and I think them over perhaps the other two sides will almost guarantee you goals. It's just whether they can then, you know, not counter that then with also conceding as many, you know, as many goals as they have been doing. So I think that defence could be a key factor coming into the season, along with that sort of getting over that psychological blip of we can perform against you, we can compete, we are better than some of the the likes of, of Lyon and Monaco. So I think if they can get over that, 
then yeah, they are within with it, in with a shout. Mm, and it's going to be an interesting fight. As for Mets, really, it, like I say, if you were asked them if they scored three goals at the Stad Velodrome before that game, they would have ripped your hand off. But they probably didn't want to concede six in the in the same breath. But in these kind of games, really, Peter, should they be too disheartened? I mean, they they were they weren't. They were really torn apart, really, especially in the first half. Some of the goals were a little bit un- unlucky. I think Kawashima didn't have the greatest of games, but they they had a similar result against uh, PSG and well uh, against uh, Monaco. Sorry, and they, they sort of bounced back from it. But again, other teams above them keep winning as well. It, should they really maybe take the positives out of the game and move on to the next one and and try and keep that momentum they've had recently going? Yeah, you've got you've got to scrap this one and, and move on to the next one and try and take the positives and try and keep that good run of form going. I mean, it's it's been belated, but they've, they've finally found some rhythm. They were picking up some good results. Um, and, you know, this could have been a real hammer blow, but the fact that they did pick up those late goals, um, Mole and Jane as well at the end, um, there's something for, for Friedrich Hans to take and to show his team during the week and say, look, this is what we can do. Um, but that, that, that said, you know, there are, <laughs> there are some serious defensive concerns. I mean, they were ripped apart at times. Um, it's not to say that Marseille really dominated the game, um, but it was just some careless errors that they'll, they'll definitely want to cut out. Uh, they, they'll want to move on as quickly as they can and try and regain that form once again to, to just keep tabs. I mean, it's, I think it's seven points now from, from safety. It's, it's not unassailable. It's, I think it's definitely doable. They've just got to keep it going. And, and, and that's what Hans has got to keep telling his team. Yeah, keep plugging away. They, I hope they're not too disheartened that a couple of teams above them nicked wins and, and pulled the the gap even further than it already was. But let's hope they uh, they can bounce back uh, next week. Um, well, for another team that were plucky at the weekend against the leaders Paris Saint Germain on Saturday, it's not all rosy in the north of France at the moment. The DNCG have reminded Lille that they still need to show 25 million euros at the end of the season or face relegation. Um, Rich, now the window is shut as well. Is that a realistic worry for them? I mean, we've been promised bits from Lopez before. They they had opportunities to move players on. They've only really sold one for any kind of money, but it does seem strange, especially the Amadou decision to, to keep him on to try and survive when if they've sold him they would have had the money to show to the dncg now they've kept him they're hoping that he can help performances on the pitch but that might not matter anymore i can only imagine lopez has got some plan up his sleeve because you know if he doesn't and he's relying on some you know mystical pot of gold to appear from nowhere then yeah you're gonna have to seriously question as to you know why did he sanction not sanction uh, a move for, for Amadou. It seemed that the player was wanting to go Crystal Palace, I think, with a, with a team that were prepared to stump up the cash. You know, knowing, I mean, you'd already been, a, you know, given the sort of unofficial warning from the DNCG that relegation was on the cards if financials didn't improve. He, he's got to have a plan. I don't know what the plan is, unless it's just, you know, him attracting more investment from somewhere, or be it his own cash or, or, or other people's, he's got, that That has to be the plan, surely. You know, I, I don't know what else there would be that would result in that decision for not not, not to sell Amadou. Um, you know, he's, I don't want to say, 
he's not that much of a he's an important player, but he's not that much of a linchpin in this team. And ultimately, you know, why not sell the player and then give yourself the worry of well, actually, all we've got to do is focus on what's on the pitch to stay up. Instead, what you're now doing is you've got to focus on what's on the pitch to stay up, and also then worry about what's going on behind the scenes. You know, they had the the, the clearest and, and biggest of chances to dismiss that off-field worry in January. They haven't taken it, and that may be a decision that they come could come to rue because the players aren't going to be able to shape that now. Um, yeah, okay, behind the scenes things are, are beyond their control, but that's still going to be playing on their minds. And if that's playing on their minds, combined with the fact that you know they're struggling of late on the pitch, it's a, it's a recipe for disaster. I mean, it may even it may even come down to the fact that the DNC don't even need to do anything because relegation could just occur naturally. Um, so it's a, it's a baffling decision, and you can only think that Lopez has uh, you know has a plan B in mind. But we, at the same time, it feels like we he had a plan A in mind in the start point with his his quote unquote own sort of version of the champions project that's clearly sort of backfired in in so many different ways it's almost unfathomable really now, uh, Peter. And, and it just seems like such a, a such a big risk in the sense that he's obviously relying on something either from his own pot of of wealth that doesn't seem to exist otherwise the issues wouldn't be cropping up in the first place or from investors he believes he has somewhere which is another one way you're worrying because that can change at any moment when they had guaranteed money on the table from palace amadou was was keen to go he was in london he was pretty much doing a medical while they sort of pulled out it's a very bizarre situation given that now it might not even matter what happens on the field they could be down regardless now yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit concerned, really, um, especially when you, you look at Lopez's track record. He left Lotus with $150 million in, of debt in, in Formula One. Um, and as you said, he, he's gambling here a little bit. He's, he's taking a huge risk. Um, I, I feel like, I think reading around on this, that the project is based on completely on the resale of the, the assets they bought, so the players. So the investments they've made from, from Pepe Araujo to Malqui. Thiago Mendes, it's the idea of resale, it's the Monaco's, the, the same thing, he wants to do the same thing uh, as what Monaco are doing. But because of the decline in form, obviously, you know, the, the risk of relegation and suddenly you think, okay, the value's declining. And none of the money is actually his own. From, from what I've read, it, what it seems to be is he's, he's borrowing money from an investment fund, the same way that AC Milan have done, and there's some serious questions about what AC Milan are doing. Um, and the, the value of that and, and the returns on the investment are purely based on whether he can increase the value of his players. Uh, on the field, that hasn't happened. They're struggling. And as you said, they needed to show the DCNG, DNCG, sorry, um, that they have money on the table. And there were questions raised from the very start by, by the French financial authorities about you know, what, how he's funding this. Because it, it seems the whole thing from the start seems so positive. But now, obviously, with the benefit of hindsight and what we're seeing now, it's, it's, it's a major, major gamble. Um, and as you said, if they go down anyway, Lille are in real, real trouble because the value of their players will decline. Lopez won't be able to prove that they can afford, they can, that the, the value of his investment can be repaid. Or if there's so many murky areas to this and so many things that we're not entirely sure of. 
And of course, there's even the matter of, of Marcello Bielsa. That's next week. Is it week after next that mm-hmm. they're taking him to court? Um, he's taking them to court about his, his release fee and he wants 18 million euros. I mean, <laughs> that's not exactly going to go down well. And the fact that they didn't sell Amadou almost beggars belief a little bit. It's, I mean, sure, they, they sold Terrier, but I mean, if, you, if, you've got, if you're being asked to show money like this, Surely you take, you know, the short term and say, okay, we can pay that. And then I'm, not, I'm sure losing Amadou wouldn't really hamper their relegation fight that significantly. What really will hamper their relegation fight is having this looming over your shoulder. The amount of times you see it with clubs in financial problem, difficulty and, you know, the questions are always after the manager, you know, oh, is it infect, affecting the players? Of course it is. They're, they're worried about whether they're going to get paid and whether they can stay in the homes they live in or, you know, whether their family's going to have to be resettled in the summer. Of course that matters. And it's... It's really quite um, disconcerting what is going on. I think it's only time will tell to see whether Lopez can produce the money. As, as Rich was saying, it is a case of can he produce money from, from nowhere or can he show that he's going to be able to repay the, the money he has borrowed? Because seemingly, this isn't his own money that he's used to, to spend, what, the 70 million he spent in the summer. So it's, it's worrying. And if you're a Lille supporter, you, you do, you do, you, <laughs> you've got to be really, really concerned at this point. And, you know, not selling in January was gambling, and that's not what you want to see with your club. Yeah, and it seems like the entire thing is gambling, really, doesn't it? It's. I don't understand how the DNCG and French football are allowing so many clubs to get into these kind of scenarios. I mean, it's it's worrying enough that they're asking them about their finances and bits like that, and that for some reason they haven't a perfect out. I mean, Martin Terrier was sold for 15 million euros. That works out to about half of what they need. And then Amadou was roughly about £18 million. So that's exactly, not if, if not more, and you've still got about £5 million to spare there, really. And they, they didn't do it. They deci- He decided against it for whatever reason. And now, like you say, if they are relegated, whether that's by playing or whether the DNC decide that at the end, the DNCG decide that at the end of the season, then you start worrying about, well, players are going to have less resale on value. Players like Nicola Pepe, they bought for 15 million euros. He's probably going to go for, say, let's say, half that amount. Um, Amadou as well, they had an agreement for 18 million. They might only get 10 now because he's he's a Ligue 2 player. That, then they need to use that money to not only finance what he's already paid that he can't pay back now, then, they start, then they're also financing what they already need to show the DNCG. It's not good enough. It's not it's good really enough. From, not. Yeah, from, from, from a, a bureaucratic point of view as well, it's not good enough. The, these clubs like Bastia and, and Evian in recent seasons who've gone down from from having financial issues in, in Liga and then as soon as they've hit Ligue 2, they've ha- sank like a stone because they can't afford to keep doing that. And clubs, are, this is going to happen to clubs again and again and again unless there's some kind of regulat- regulatory to stop these kind of things from happening. We see it a lot, like we saw it very briefly in the Premier League where we had teams like Portsmouth and and you see it with a couple more clubs that have, have been sort of badly managed who are in the lower echelons anymore, but we it's a lot less egregious, shall we say, than, than it used to be. I mean, some people, because you look at teams like Newcastle who, who moan about Mike Ashley, but at least he does a little bit of something. He doesn't really invest in the team, but at least he has, he's not going to sink them to the to non-existence. This is the kind of thing where Lopez might, and it, you can say about any club, but seven years ago, Lille won, won the league in the cup double. And now they could be facing not only relegation, but real, real worry of, of, well, Lopez just giving up on it. If they if they're relegated, he can't pay it back. There's no way of him getting his money back. What's the point? They might just 
sink the whole lot of it and, and start again. And that would be such an enormous shame to, for a massive club, really, in that area. That Hopefully, the fact that they're such a big club, really, and with a, and a richer history in the league and some of the other, the other two clubs I mentioned, that someone will probably save them. But that's not helped other clubs in the past and, and other teams that have sank. So let's hope for the best, but... Well, I think I think the only I think the, the the worry that they've got is is if if it comes down to a DNCG ruling, the Lakeep article which sort of released this news that 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 they've been given this suspended relegation suggested that actually it may not even be leaked; it may be the National. And if that's the case, then as we saw with Bastia, as we saw with Evian, that that could be club oblivion. Worst case scenario, that could be club obliterated. You know, you're in the third tier. All of a sudden, there's a fire sale that has to happen to the players. All of a sudden, professional status goes. All of a sudden, you're having to, you know, start again from the you know eighth tier or below. Um, so it, it's I know it's a doomsday scenario, and you know, hopefully it won't come to that, and it probably won't come to that, but it, it, it can, and it has to other clubs. And that has to act as a warning. And as you say, they're a big enough club that you think that if it, if it came to that, there would be a sensible businessman, there would be a savvy businessman who cared for the club, who knew what he was doing, that could come in and rescue them. You know, we don't want it to get to that stage. You know, Lille are a historic club. They've produced some great players over the years. And as you say, seven years ago, we're League and Cup champions. Um, but, you know, Bastia, Evian teams before them have to act as a warning that you don't get your finances in order the dncg will come down on you and will have no problems in effectively destroying the club so i think it's, it's, it raises it's a big some, thing it raises some serious questions about the dcng as well that they've because what it seems like is that lopez has, has bought the club with with money that isn't his own and it's all based on the the probability that the players resale value will increase and because of the way the club has performed, obviously, this has just catastrophically thrown that out the window. And as you say, Rich, you know, if they do go down, that's the whole premise of how the club is run is suddenly underwater. They have to sell their assets and that's it. I mean, it would be a huge, huge blow if that were to happen. I mean, it is doomsday, but it's not inconceivable by any stretch of the imagination. And you just got to hope that the fact that he didn't sell Amadou in, in, during the January window means he has a second plan. He has another backup, has another investor to come in and, and provide the insurance. But, you know, if this does go, um, go awry as it, as it threatens to do so, then you've got to re really look at the French financial watches over, over clubs because it can't keep happening. I mean, look at Strasbourg. I mean, they're the prime example of a club that gone pretty much to the very brink, to the very, very bottom. And, they got lucky, you know. They 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 had Mark Keller and uh, to oversee their return, but you know that that could happen to Lille, a club that won the league just <laughs> well under a decade ago. It's 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 really concerning, not just for the club, but in terms of how clubs are being watched as well. Absolutely. I mean, for one thing, I bet Marseille fans are absolutely wiping the sweat from their brows at the moment, really, seeing how Gerard Lopez has sank Lille when he was in discussions of taking them over. And they, they thought they got a poison in Frankfurt Court, but it's all worked out successfully for them so far. But yeah, there, there needs to, if, if the DNCG do end up relegating Lille, there, there needs to be serious discussions on, on how they're running, how teams are allowed to be taken over by. By foreign owners, full stop, because it, it it's simply not good enough, really. But very quickly on sort of the the, 
the product on the pitch at least anyway they which they, they were pretty good for 70 80 minutes of this game really against Paris Saint-Germain they hold them at bay they there was a this footage of a it was Campos, the uh, the sporting director, being very unhappy about that first goal where where Cavani is offside during the uh, during the build up to it. But other than that sort of lucky goal, that the second goal is is maybe a little bit unfortunate, and then obviously Lacelso scores a, a, a great one. But they they were competitive. They had their own chances. They were they were decent on the counter attack. There's at least hopes of if they can sort out their financial stuff that Christophe Galtier maybe has something there to to build on. Absolutely. You know, I think they were competitive for, for 45 minutes and arguably even more than that. Um, in Thiago Mendes, they had one of the standout players, I think, on the pitch. Really impressive performance from him. Um, so there's, there's, you know, there's no shame in losing 3-0 to PSG. Um, what they now need to do is, is Galtier needs to regroup, needs to look at the positives, um, you know, needs to needs to address the, the, the areas that they can they can, um, you know, they can tweak and take that forward. You know, Galtier is a coach that can do that. Um, you know, this is a big, big ask for him to, to turn this around for Lille, but Galtier is a, is a coach that, that can do it and has proven to have been able to do it. So, um, you know, I think there's, there's, you know, little bits and little glimpses of encouragement that they can take, albeit they lost 3-0, that they can take from that game and hopefully implement and, and secure, uh, you know, improved results going forward. Mm, yeah, and let's hope that things can be sorted off the field, really, because they, we don't, we really don't want to see more clubs uh, sink out into the national. Will be an, an awful situation for them. Uh, let's be a bit more positive now, and let's talk about our league and our snapshots. One of our favourite sections of the week. Um, I'll start with you, Peter. What's your snapshot this week? Uh, my snapshot is off the field and it involves Neymar's uh, birthday party this weekend. It's his 26th birthday today. Shares that with uh, Cristiano Ronaldo. But it's interesting in terms of his the, the players uh, the players and people who were there. I mean, you have your, your celebrities like your DJ Snake and uh, Gabriel Jesus was there. Um, the great Ronaldo uh, was also there. Um, also Edison Cavani, his good friend, um, the man he shares his penalty kicks with, he was there. Manager Unai Emery even got an invite, even though it seems Neymar's more powerful than he is. And uh, Nasser Al-Khalafi also on the shortlist. So that's one that didn't go amiss. And plenty of videos going around on, on social media as well, what he was getting up to. But yes, that's my snapshot this week. It was Neymar's birthday party. Well, what have we come to? I can't believe I've used that as a snapshot. I've just realised what I've done. The whole thing has been overlooked by blaming Neymar, hasn't it? God. He, I'm going to leave. What am I doing? Yeah, thank you for the uh, celebrity update of the of the week for our, for our show, uh, uh, Peter. Uh, Rich, what's your snapshot? Uh, mine's um, a couple of goals from the sort of bizarre to the brilliant. Um, if you if you can see, dig out Lacelso's goal for for PSG, the third one against in the win against Lille. It's an absolutely wonderful finish, edge of the area, just a little dink left foot. Up and over, uh, Mike Mainly on top corner. It's a wonderful, wonderful finish. Um, so from the sublime to the, the utterly ridiculous, and Eunice Sankare's goal, um, early goal in the in the uh, the Bordeaux win over Strasbourg. Where it's Jeremy Grimm goes to clear it, smacks it against Sankare, and it just lobs wonderfully over Kamara into the net. Um, Honourable mentions. Um, and thanks for Peter Pre-Show for reminding me of, of this painful one of Ngbakoto's 
Um, last minute winner for Gangong against Ren, breakaway goal, and he catches um, Kubek in the Ren goal completely out of position. But it is a wonderful, wonderful finish. And uh, Max Gradle's goal for Toulouse, another terrific curling effort from the uh, the edge of the area into the top corner. So some some really, really good finishes. And then Eunice Sankar's. Yeah, which is probably my favourite goal of the season so far. That and the Emiliano Sala one from uh, before Christmas where he sort of bundles it in and controls it with his uh, nether regions before getting kicked in the face and scoring it. It's, it's a very similar sort of goal to that one. Uh, I, I wanted to talk about uh, what a game that really surprised me, really, on, on Sunday, and that was Cole Nolte. I mean, Nolte are have scored 24 goals now this season. It was 22 before this one. One of the lowest scorers in the top half and and Cone, the lowest scorers in the entire division. I mean, one of my favourite stats about Cone this season is they have three players that have scored goals for them so far this season. <laughs> it's, it's either been Ivan Santini, Ronnie Rodolan, or the man who scored the double at the weekend, Damien De Silva, with the two headers. The only three players that have grabbed any kinds of goals for them this season, which is crazy, but a really entertaining game. It was great to see Cole switch it up a little bit. They obviously brought in... Uh, Crivelli um, on loan for the for the rest of the season and switched to almost like a diamond formation and him and Santini sounds like the uh, the twin towers or like um, a monster tag team of, of six footers that um, really really going to trouble sometimes this season it looks like I mean Nolte had to play uh, Leo Dubois m- more centrally than than usual and he really didn't fancy it against either of those two really he gave away the penalty and uh, and uh, both of them were sort of causing havoc really and and sort of decided by sort of the quality of players like Ronnie Rodolan and uh, I Ben Asir was a really good game but it, it, it shows you the sort of competitiveness of league on I, I thought this season I can slowly sort of sank further down towards the bottom of the, seat, the table but uh, after a really good start but a, a, a really good result against the not side that are really the best of that middle group even though they they remain in fifth they neither have been Greatly entertaining, but a good game of football for a Sunday evening and uh, full of interesting goals as well as uh, hopefully someone else can score for Cole next week. Uh, otherwise, if those three get injured, they uh, may never score again. Um, I'm going to finish now on um, a question we've had entered from our, one, well, our very own uh, Philip Bargil, who's asked us as we are sort of in the two-thirds of the way through the season. Now there's probably about 13, 14 games left, so we're just about in that sort of space. And that's our predictions of the top three, bottom three. Um, so I'm going to start with you, Rich. I, I can guess who's going to finish top, but who are your top three to start off with? Um, I would go um, PSG, Monaco, Lyon. That's my top three. Peter? Oh, that's so difficult. Uh, PSG, Lyon, Monaco. I'm going to put the trend and say, I'm going to say PSG, Monaco, Marseille. I think Leon might, because of the Europa League stuff, I think Marseille will sort of give up on that, knowing that they might just focus on the league now. And I think that that for, for Leon might just be enough of a distraction. They might sneak a, a Champions League place that way, but uh, that might be too much of a distraction for them, at least. Anyway, uh, bottom three then, and I'll, I'll start with you this time, Peter. What Who do you think finishing the uh, bottom three? Metz, Trois, and Amiens, I think, on mine. I'm just hoping that Lille can push on because it would be dire if they do go down. Rich? As much as I'd like to see a Nolan Rue-inspired um, great escape for Metz, I, I just don't see it happening. So Metz, uh, Amiens and Angers for me. I don't see Angers scoring the goals, really. 
Yeah, it's, it's a tough one, isn't it? On that sort of bottom half of the table, I think I think we're all well. I'm agreeing. Mets and Twire are, are probably down. I, Twire have been a, a, a poor run recently, and they they just can't seem to score enough goals really to to, to keep teams at at bay. Um, and that's a problem for a lot of the sides around there. You look at Amiens, you look at Angers. Amiens have been a, a pretty poor run of form recently. Lille with that hanging over the heads, how is that going to affect them over the course of the season? I think probably Lille will stay where they are and probably get into that relegation uh, third place um, playoff with the, with whoever finishes third in leader. But I, I have a sneaking suspicion that they might possibly just have too much for, for someone in the second division, at least anyway. Uh, oh, that's all we have time for this week. Uh, my thanks to Rich, Peter and everyone listening at home. Join us for the preview show on Thursday and the main show will be back at the same time, same place next week. Abianto and goodbye.